We're going to talk about the spirituality of rest and the seven types of rest. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith wrote a book called Sacred Rest. Uh, She is a physician, and she also has a TED Talk on sacred rest, and also what she points out are seven types of rest. And I find it really compelling because it explains why you can do nothing on a weekend and still feel like a train wreck on Monday morning. Or when you get home from vacation, you're like, I need a vacation for my vacation. Her stuff explains why. So you can check it out. Um, But I want to summarize. Oh, here's a picture of the TED Talk that you can see. I would like to summarize those seven types of rest for us this morning. So we're going to go through them quickly. And there's more on our website, which you can access. But the first type of rest that she identifies is physical rest. And what you'll notice is that there are two components with all seven types. There's an active component and a passive component. Active meaning something you do or engage in proactively to nurture that type of rest. And then a passive type, which means you cease or stop. And that's what facilitates that type of rest, okay? So for physical rest, examples include light walking, yoga, getting a massage. Passive physical rest means sleeping, taking a nap, being still. Number two, mental rest. Active mental rest includes doing puzzles, games, or light mental exercise. Who likes to play games on their phone? Yes, light mental rest is what you're doing there. A passive mental rest means stop thinking. (laughs) This is not a time to think, my friends. Actually, now is, so keep keep that thing going. (laughs) All right, number three, social rest. Active social rest is when you spend time with people that restore energy, that bring you energy. So you're with those people and you feel energized after having been with those people. Passive rest, social rest means being alone. You stop being with people. We all need that from time to time. Yes, even us extroverts need that alone time. (laughs) Number four, sensory rest. Active sensory rest means engaging the senses in restorative activities we might not ordinarily do. Things like cooking or different types of cooking or baking, uh, gardening, playing with a pet, Petting a pet, right? That's sensory rest. Passive means unplugging, putting the phone down, getting away from the noise and other sensory data. Number five, emotional rest. Active emotional rest is when we express built-up emotions. We express built-up emotions. So we find ourselves in a season of great sadness or a day when we're really angry. We need to express that, give ourselves time, and that can be a restorative, restful activity to express those built-up emotions. Passive emotional rest is when we take a break from the big emotions. Just take a break. Number six, we're getting close. Creative rest. Active creative rest includes play, or creating something new or different that we don't normally get to do. So it feels fun and light and energizing. Uh, Kids' toys, uh, playing with Legos, food or cooking can be, for some of us, uh, that creative rest. Writing a poem. And then passive creative rest means stopping or ceasing from productivity, taking a break from what we have to create. 
And then finally, number seven, spiritual rest. Active spiritual rest means engaging in spiritual practices, praying, contemplation, worshiping, attending church can all be forms of spiritual rest. And then passive spiritual rest means taking a break from those spiritual or religious practices, skipping church. (laughs) Yes, skipping church can be a form of spiritual rest. Your pastor told you so. (laughs) All right, so here are all seven, the list. Again, you can find details and a little bit more reflection on our blog where we occasionally post content. So if you want to go there, you can and find more info. All right, so maybe this is a new handle uh, for some of you, or maybe it's a familiar model. It's nice to revisit. Uh, But I want to ask the question, though, these seven types of rest, how does it connect to faith and spirituality? What, What is it, how does it connect with our faith today? And there's a lot of material that we could look to from the Bible and from the Christian tradition about rest, which makes sense. A full third of our lives, if you think about it, are spent sleeping. I mean, it's a major, major component of the human life. And we engage in all kinds of other restful behaviors uh, as well. So it makes sense that God and faith would definitely have something to say to our practices of rest and restoration. So we're going to look at two short scriptures that are both from really central moments in the Bible. And they're going to demonstrate the connection between God, faith, and rest. Okay, so the first moment is from creation, the event of creation. This will be a very familiar passage. Actually, both passages will probably be familiar to a lot of us. But this is from Genesis chapter 2, the first book of the Bible, second chapter. Here we go. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. On the sixth day, God finished the work that God had done. And God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. Okay, the second scripture is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, and in this next one, this is the moment where God gives to Moses and all the Israelites the Ten Commandments, part of the Torah or the law that God gives to Moses and the people of Israel. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock. Give them a break. Or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. All right, these two passages help us connect rest with faith, and spirituality. And there are two main lessons I want us to hear from these uh, passages this morning. So the first is that rest is divine. 
rest is divine. God finishes creation and God rests. God kicks up God's feet, puts on some Netflix, and God chills. I mean, it's a remarkable moment if you think about it. God resting, the unmoved mover, the creator of the cosmos, resting. The implication is that we who are in God's image are invited to do the same. And that when we are resting, we are participating in the divine. We are claiming our divine nature, our divine image bearing as we rest. So sleep, divine. Napping, divine. Netflix and chill, that's divine too. This is great, right? When we rest, we are participating in the divine, participating in God's rest. Pretty cool. All right, the second thing we learn about rest is that rest flows from social justice. Rest flows from social justice. So in the Ten Commandments, God reminds all of the Israelites, you were enslaved in Egypt. You're no longer enslaved, and that is why you get to celebrate the Sabbath. That's why you get to rest, because you are no longer under Pharaoh's economy. You're under mine, God says. So this sets up a poignant contrast, that one, one that is often alluded to in the Bible, between, on the one hand, Pharaoh's socioeconomic reality, Pharaoh's economy, and God's socioeconomic reality on the other. That's what we call Torah, or the law, and it is liberation. And so I want to tease this out just a little bit to show what this contrast means about rest today. So in Pharaoh's economy, it's literally a pyramid scheme <laughs> built on oppression and slavery. It, it, it's, it's baked in. That is, it, you know, it's not a bug. It's the central feature of how the economy works. And it's inherently extractive where everyone's at the bottom and human bodies are commodities, and all you're trying to do is extract the value of what they can produce and feed it all the way to the top. Number two in Pharaoh's economy, the divine image is limited to one person, Pharaoh. It's good to be Pharaoh because you're divine and no one else is. And it starts to create a special class of human beings, right? There's one, one very special, Pharaoh, who's divine, no one else is, and the people around him, associated with him, they're special. They get access to the good stuff. But the rest of us, sorry, not so much. And finally, there's no Sabbath rest in Pharaoh's economy. No Sabbath rest, which is indicative. It's it, it denies the fundamental need for human beings to rest. It denies that reality. So God, in the Ten Commandments, reminding all Israel, you were enslaved. This was your reality. And now I'm creating an alternative. 
And what's that alternative? Torah, God's economy. Where number one, there's shared prosperity and security for all. One of the major images in the prophets later on in the Bible is that everyone's going to get their own vine and fig tree. Everyone's going to get their own vine and fig tree. Everyone has safe, affordable land or housing. And in that property, on that property, you've got a vine where you've got grapes and wine And you've got a fig tree. You've got fruit that is plentiful. That is shared prosperity, shared security for all. It's flat. Secondly, the divine image is shared by all human beings. We are all made in God's image and therefore worthy of dignity, respect, access to all seven types of rest. And that's the third one. Sabbath rest for everyone. Even your animals are going to rest, folks. Everybody, all of being is going to come up into the divine rest. And that is a witness to how God would organize our socioeconomic reality. Rest. Okay, so when we think about this contrast, right, between Pharaoh's socioeconomic reality and Torah, what God's doing there, it is an amazing contrast. It has major implications for us today as we think about rest. That rest flows from social justice. Rest is a social good. And when we have a society in which all 8 billion humans could access true rest... Wow, what a different world we would have. Imagine that, 8 billion humans all accessing all seven types of rest that we could claim that for ourselves. Can you imagine that kind of world? That would be amazing. I was thinking about these dynamics this week uh, when I was, um, well, after my wife Allie and I, we celebrated our weekly date night and I use, I use celebrated very intentionally because we do celebrate date night. Uh, we've been doing this weekly for 19 plus years, ever since we were first married. And uh, yeah, right, woo. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, and so, and just to be clear, like when I say date night, don't get the wrong idea. Usually that just meant like closing our kids' doors and going to the living room. <laughs> date night! <laughs> And, you know, we'd make some tea and popcorn and be together. You know, that, that was date night for many, many years. Our kids are now teenagers, so we have a little bit more uh, liberty, shall we say, uh, and leisure. And, and so we do some different things. But we have a weekly date night. This past week, um, you know, I fed the kids early dinner so that Allie and I could just make our own dinner. And it included lots of baked potatoes with fresh dill. Oh, my gosh. And butter. So good. We uh, put on fun, cute aprons, and we made a special dessert that we had never tried before. And then we made popcorn, put on a rom-com, and snuggled on the couch. Date night. It was so restful. It was so restful. I mean, we, like, I, I was thinking about it later, like I ticked off like four or five of those types of rest in one evening with Allie. Um, even mentally, it was great because Allie's right now is teaching a class called Bible is Literature. 
She's a high school English teacher at City High School. The city that leads, or the school that leads? The school that leads. Sorry, botch that one. Anyway, sorry, City High. Um, she teaches a class called Bible is Literature, and she, this past week, did a long, longer study of Genesis chapter 3, which was in Adam and Eve take the fruit they're not supposed to eat, and she's studying with her students. And her students have, they have no commitment to make anyone in the story look better than they are. You know what I mean? So they have the freshest observations about what's going on. And, and she's telling me, I'm like, this is unbelievable. I, I, stunning. Like, 10 out of 10, chef's kiss. I love it. Um, and it, was, it was just so fun. It was great. You know, we're together. We're taking time to be together, hearing about each other's lives in a deeper way, having fun with a rom-com. It was lovely and so restful. Now, we're aware, and I'm aware, as I was reflecting on it later, like, it's, a, it's kind of a privilege, in a sense, to be able to, quote-unquote, afford a date night like that. I mean, even though it didn't cost us anything, you know, we're spending a lot of money, but to afford the time and the space to have a secure home that we can rely upon, to know where our food is coming from, our meals tomorrow, we take for granted that we have secure access and are not thinking about that at 10 p.m. Here's the thing. That should not be a privilege. It, it just shouldn't. We, we could have a world in which it's not a privilege, where that kind of access to that type of rest could be made available for every human being. We have enough prosperity and abundance in the world that every human could enjoy that. But we've constructed a world in which that is not the case for a lot of people. Would that every person experience the prosperity and security that God promises? That every single one of us could access reliably all seven types of rest? Oh, I, I wish we had that world. Let us commit to making that world more possible. Yes? That is part of the invitation as we think about rest, to work towards justice, to work towards liberation, where everyone can access rest the way God intends. The other part of that, the other invitation for us, is for each one of us to work with this a little bit and to figure out where do we need rest? What will it look like for us to take that rest, to claim rest for ourselves that we need? That, too, can be liberating for ourselves and for other people. Because when we start to set boundaries and take the rest we need, other people, maybe they'll be mad, maybe they'll be resentful, maybe they'll be inspired, but it can affect other people and how they start to examine their own lives and their own relationship to rest, if that makes sense. So, to close, I want to invite us into a short meditation. Uh, we're going to use Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 11, where he talks about rest. So, make yourself comfortable, however it is comfortable for you, to enter into prayer practice. 
I will have the words on the screen if it helps you to read them. If it's more helpful just to close your eyes and be in a prayerful, meditative space, you can do that as well. Up to you. We'll read through, these, uh, through this passage two times and then take a space after each time. The words of Jesus. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just take a moment to sit with those words. And again, Jesus' words. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, we hear your invitation into rest. It's more difficult than we sometimes realize. So would you help us? Help us to claim the rest we need. Help us to resist the ways of Pharaoh. And help us receive and claim your ways of rest. In Jesus' name, amen.